Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's a new day! Yes, it is! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Wild and Crazy Eyes! The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Hogan for the win. We're going to consistently put players in position to succeed. The most important piece is we're going to take the North and never give it back. From CHGO, it's Adam Hogan. I don't think that this is a, a full rebuild, but you definitely have to retool your roster. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Hey, what's up, Flus? And we're going to have measurable ways for standards of performance every single rep, every single game. Anyway, uh, who cares? Now, here they are, the Adams, Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogue and Johns with you. Johnsy, it's been a while since we had our powwow with the football, the athletics football show at the Combine, which was uh, probably one of our favorite episodes of the year. That was before we had answers. Now we have answers. So we thought we'd get to get back together with at least half of that show. Robert Mays joining us. I shouldn't say half. It's like... It's really Robert's show with a bunch of with a great cast of characters, but Nate's a huge uh, part of it. So we, uh, it, Nate's my partner in crime, and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's 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 a huge part of it. So we can say half. I think that's fine with me. I just want to make sure I got the percentages right on that show. But uh, <laughs> now, uh, Robert, it's good to have you back on the show. Johns, lots happened. Since I thought the we were going to talk about Connor Bedard this morning. Well, we I I found a creative way to work him into the show. Okay, which started as a joke, but then we in our pre-show. Uh, get together we actually started getting into a debate about it so i think we'll actually talk about it outside of football i've become such a casual sports fan just because football is such a huge part of my life that when i'm not watching football sports is kind of drifted in other areas because i like to fill my time with other things but last night i just happened to have espn on when the lottery was starting i was like all right i'll watch this you know i know the blackhawks have like a top three pick and then they get the number one pick and i haven't watched a hockey game this year I enjoy hockey. I went to one Blackhawks game this year. I went to Taves' like last home game, which is very cool. And I was like, okay, this oh. is sweet. I'm glad I saw this. And so I'm sitting there at, after they get the number one pick, and I went to YouTube, and I started like watching Connor Bedard highlights. Like When something like this happens, it can pull in even the most casual fans, and that's the whole point, right? Like mm-hmm. These moments where it just kind of shifts the standing of your franchise in the eyes of certain people, those are hugely important moments. I didn't think I would ever become one of those casual people that you'd have to pull in, but that's where we stand right now. So good for the Blackhawks and good for their organization. Happy for them. Well, swinging that idea back to football, that happens, you know, we're so entrenched in football and the NFL and this idea that just NFL is king, which it is, and we live it every single day. But the reality is there is a huge portion of football fans that don't, really pay attention to like the draft for instance until you know like the draft is here and and then they enjoy it and the, and the ratings are great but and we and I, you know to be honest we see that with our podcast numbers too right like you have certain peaks where where people tune in so um you know it's 
Very interesting to see everything that the Bears have done since the last time we talked, Robert. Uh, when we were in Indianapolis, we were doing a lot of guessing, right? Uh, we had an idea that Ryan Poles wanted to trade the pick early. We had somewhat of, of an idea that he wanted to add a veteran player in such a trade. And then that's how it all played out as sort of big picture before we zoom into some of the specifics. How do you feel like the Bears made out in all this over the last couple months? I think pretty darn well. I don't really think you can do it much better than they did in terms of the overall plan. We talked about this on our show after the draft, kind of the messages that teams send you with what their offseason plans look like. And with the Bears, I think the message that Ryan Pohl sent us is that he's really trying to balance the present and the future. You have to get answers on your quarterback, and you have to know where you stand with Justin Fields and his long-term outlook. But you also have to understand that this is going to be a multi-stage, multi-year rebuild, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So this spring, they prioritized making sure that when we get to the end of the 2023 season, we have no more excuses for Justin Fields. The offense is assembled in such a way where you can feel pretty good about your evaluation of him but by the time we get to the end of the year. That certainly wasn't the case last year. But I think over the last year or so, from May 9th of 2022 to May 9th of 2023, they've put themselves in a position to feel pretty good about that. That's the DJ Moore trade. That's using the ninth overall pick on Darnell Wright. You know, getting some complimentary pieces either in the backfield or a tight end, whatever. I think they've done a very good job of that this offseason. Nate Davis. And then on defense, it's like, let's just take some swings on athletes. We got a long way to go. We got a long way to go to build up multiple position groups here. We know that. So let's try to find some guys with high ceilings that maybe need a little bit of work and refinement. And I think that overall, as a plan, it makes a lot of sense to me. Process is a word that you used a lot. And and we've kind of taken it over a little bit because the process that Ryan Poles has shown, well, it strikes us as very different than, than Ryan Pace's process. But as someone who talks... Maybe more so about everybody in the NFL as opposed to, to just the Bears. Like, what do you think of the process of playing with the first pick and coming out with a, a DJ Moore, you know, and talking to the Raiders, talking to the Colts, talking to, well, obviously the Panthers and how the, the process by the end of it played out, you know, for polls amongst his other GMs? I, you have to feel good about it. You know, it. You look at all the options that could be on the table. Could they probably have gotten a haul that included also a 2025 first-round pick as well as a 2024 and 2023 first-round pick? Sure. But I think it's better to understand that you needed to fill a lot of cap space, and a veteran contract is the best way to do that. Of all the veteran contracts that you could take on, going to get a – how old is DJ Moore? 26? 25, I think. So he turned 26 after the trade. He's turned 26 on April 14th. So you go get a 26-year-old cost-controlled receiver. You know, in a world where Christian Kirk is getting $18 million a year, you're essentially paying $18 million against the cap for DJ Moore over the next few years. What it reminds me of, and he's not on quite the same level as this guy, it reminds me a little bit of what the Vikings did with Stephon Diggs where he had just signed that extension. It was kind of an under-market extension considering some of the other contracts that have been handed out of the position, and that's what DJ Moore feels like now. You know, you're getting him at that $18, $19 million a year range when guys are signing at $25 million. So if you look at the 2025 second and DJ Moore, I think that's probably better than just getting a ton of draft picks. When you needed an answer at receiver immediately, the pathways to finding a receiver 
there weren't many of them. You couldn't do it in the draft. You couldn't do it in free agency. And you had an ocean of cap space that you don't want to spend on a ton of receivers. So I think ultimately the hall, again, kind of threads that needle of giving you what you need in the short term when you didn't have other ways to access it and making sure that you're assembling enough picks in the long term. Just feel good about the arsenal you have, but also putting yourself in a position next year where if the answer you get on Justin Fields by the end of 2023 isn't the one that you want, are you in a spot where you can be a little bit aggressive and go get another quarterback if the situation or the opportunity presents itself? Now you need a little certainty for for this year. What I mean by certainty, someone who's a little bit more proven. You don't want to pair yes. Justin Fields with, you know, I, I get the idea of pairing him with a, with a young receiver, but it's still a young receiver who has to learn a lot about the NFL. And DJ Moore, you have a player who has multiple thousand yard receiving seasons despite the quarterback situation in Carolina. So that provides fields with some certainty that you need. Look at every single quarterback development success story that we've seen over the last like five to seven years. Okay. You can name every single one. Josh Allen, they trade for Stefan Diggs. Boom. AJ Brown comes to Philadelphia last year. Jalen Hurts is now a very rich man after we were wondering last offseason if he was actually going to be the guy in Philadelphia long term. Look how different Tua looked last season after they traded for Tyreek Hill. Joe Burrow gets Jamar Chase in year two. It changes everything about what the Bengals are. Justin Herbert landed with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams from the moment that he was there because that team was banged up. They still had some good players on it. They lucked into the sixth-round pick, and it all kind of comes together. Patrick Mahomes had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey from the moment he started as the Chiefs' number one quarterback. This is it's not hard to connect the dots here. Like you need these sorts of guys and bringing in somebody that is a proven veteran. And again, maybe he isn't on that hyper elite tier of wide receivers, but he's been a good player in the league for long enough that you can kind of microwave this thing. It's an immediate answer that kind of pushes you forward in a way that really no other move on the table at that position could have in the short term. So I think it's picking up clues and breadcrumbs from other teams that have been successful and trying to graft those ideas onto the roster that you have. And I can get behind that in a big way. It's really fun to me to zoom out and uh, do the uh, math on what's not even done yet, but we'll see. But one touchdown throw from Davis Mills leads to <laughs> this is the updated count it leads to dj moore darnell Wright, ideally filling the right tackle a hole the bears have we'll see of course tyreek stevenson ends up being the uh the the other the second round pick that they end up moving up to to get him but they use that draft capital that got in the trade so potentially the that other cornerback you needed that was a hole on defense a 2024 first round pick, a 2024 fourth round pick because polls moved back again one spot and acquired that from Philadelphia. And then the 2025 second round pick that was also included in the original trade uh, with the Panthers. I mean, that's quite a lot for. I mean, who knows if they had been at number two, right? Maybe still could have pulled a, tra- a trade back, but it's very unlikely that it turns into all of that. The funniest part is that on the day that it happened, there were multiple people when I was celebrating or just being very happy about it. They're like, well, they don't need a quarterback. Why does it matter? I was like, it matters a lot. <laughs> it matters a lot in a year where there are going to be multiple quarterbacks available at the top for you to control the draft. I mean, it allows you to just stockpile all of these assets. And I think that it's important stockpile all these assets while maintaining flexibility. 
you know, I unfortunately always see this stuff as glass half empty because I think it's important to understand what the pivot points are going to look like for your franchise. So I've already started to game out in my mind. It's like, all right, let's say the Cardinals get the number one pick. You know, they'll probably draft Caleb Williams and trade Kyler. I think that's the most reasonable thing for their timeline. And then who's going to get the number two pick? I'm kind of rooting for the Titans to get it because they'll have already drafted Will Levis. And if they have the number two pick, maybe they'll trade out of it. And if Justin Fields isn't the guy, then the Bears could trade up for Drake May and just kind of you know hit the ground running and not get set back at all. So I think those things are important to keep in mind, even if you don't want to let your brain go there. But that's what that extra 2024 first round pick gives you is that even if this version of it and the way that you built it doesn't work out the way that you want to, you still have options down the road. And I hope that it does. I hope that we never have to explore those options as a franchise, as a city, all of those things. But you always have to be planning on where your flexibility is going to come from. And I think they've done a good job of that. How are your evaluations, your conversations, like how do you foresee them changing about fields this year, given a new right guard, new right tackle, two new receivers, new running back, another new veteran tight end? Like things are, they look better around Justin Fields right now. The, the arsenal is better for him. So like, how do you feel like your evaluations of him will will shift this year in 2023 as opposed to what he went through last year when he clearly didn't have much? The line is important. You know, it's just good to have better players in front of him. And when he does have to kind of hold on to the ball a little bit longer, make those plays possible. For me, it's the changes in the receiving core. And the reason for that is that when you see – I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but there's really good stats about the percentage of targets that certain players get in, let's say, less than two and a half seconds. So very quick targets when they're in the offense. And if you look at those numbers, two of the guys near the top of the league in that metric last year were Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown. Okay, because when you can build your passing game through a true number one option and that your quarterback has trust in that option, he can really rip it quickly in the progression because like this is the first place that i'm going the play is designed for this guy i'm letting this thing fly the bears didn't have that last year you know darnell mooney is kind of the de facto number one receiver when the season starts and you go a little bit further down the line from that and Mooney was banged up all those things claypool was slow to acclimate they just didn't have that guy there wasn't that trust i think with the players who were catching the football for the bears last year where justin fields could operate with that sort of authority that sort of trust and move fast that's what i want to see I want to see now that the players are worth trusting, does he speed it up a little bit, operate on time a little bit more, and alleviate some of those issues that I have, those concerns that I have with the sack rate, all that stuff. That is my number one question. Can we get rid of the negative plays and the pressure he creates that leads to those negative plays that I think right now is his biggest Achilles heel? And I think that's more about the receivers than it is about the guys blocking for him. Get the ball out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Robert, one of the one of the hardest questions that I'm, you know, trying to wrap try to come up with some type of answer for and I don't we're not going to I guess know until we see it, but it, on on one hand, it's what we all know what you just talked about that he needs to be he just needs to process faster. And and everyone knows this and this has been a thing going back to Ohio State when, you know, part of the reason why he fell to number 11 like he did. But then on the other hand, we saw a stretch, a full month of football last year where he was the best player on the field for four straight games and not against scrub teams, against the Dolphins, against the Cowboys, against the Lions, against the Patriots. Not the best of the best teams, but not awful teams either. 
I guess the question is, is what he did during that stretch where he was just using sort of his, you know, the gifts that God gave him to, to do the things that he was able to do. Is that sustainable? Is that provide a floor that's at least high enough if the processing part never comes around? No. I think because the word that you used is the correct word. It's floor. Rushing raises your floor as a quarterback. And it's a huge tool early in your development and early in your career because I think we've seen this in other instances. Jalen Hurts being the best example. I think that's one that's worth holding on to if you're a Bears fan. The floor that Jalen Hurts' rushing ability provided him allowed him to be a functional NFL quarterback before the pieces came. You know, that 2021 version of the Eagles where they could be competitive and they could really move the ball offensively with a hyper-specific version of the offense because of what his legs could give you. But that's we already saw that version of the Bears. Like That's what they were last year. I want to see what the ceiling looks like because I think betting on the floor as a long-term kind of prospect where it's like, all right, you know, we have to make a decision on his fifth year option. We have to make a decision on whether to use those two first round picks on a quarterback, all that stuff. I think you need to feel better about the ceiling before you start making those decisions rather than saying we've seen the floor and that's good enough. I'm trying to look for this quote from Luke Getze. Adam, weren't you with him on, on Friday where he was talking about fields a bit, the connections uh, with the receivers? Yeah, from Saturday. I was yes. not there Saturday. You weren't there Saturday. You and okay. I were both coaching baseball or something. We were both coaching baseball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just saw this in passing on Twitter. So, you know, forgive this pause in, in the podcast here. But it, it is unique, I think, with with fields that, that, like, the running ability has almost raised, like, it's, it's almost like an unfair expectation because we, we've never seen anything like it. You know, you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's, it's, in Chicago, we're used to like a Trubisky or a Josh, getting excited about a Josh McCown. Like this rushing ability has raised expectations for Fields in, in a sense that may be unfair. Like when does his arm catch up to it? That, that's where I'm trying to get to. I think Getsy was talking about that a little bit in terms of. Are you, you know, talking those, about those, the wide receiver quarterback relationship that he was talking about? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So he said the uh, quarterback receiver relationship is so important as as great of a quarterback as you can or as great as a receiver can be, if there's not a relationship and a connection between the two of them, then it really doesn't matter. And they're in that phase right now. He's talking about DJ Moore and Justin Fields. They're in that phase right now of getting to know each other. What's cool is DJ's experiences that he's had. He's had to play with a few different quarterbacks and a few different systems. So you can tell he doesn't really get phased by the new which is going to be really good. And I think that's an important part of this too, yeah. right? Like Justin Fields is probably the best quarterback DJ Moore's had. Regardless of what Fields becomes or, you know, doesn't become, like that's everything that DJ Moore's accomplished so far. There's there's more to be reached there just based on, the, you know, the quarterbacks that have been throwing him the ball to this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's probably true, but you know if you look at Yes, I think that's probably true. You know, the quarterback situation in Carolina was so, so dire for those few years that you could probably make that argument. But I still think if you look at kind of the underlying numbers and what Justin Fields has been as a passer, it's pretty bleak, man. I mean, it's like bottom of the barrel type stuff. And a lot of that is driven, if you look at the advanced numbers, by all the sacks he takes, things like that. But I think it's just important for all of us to kind of root ourselves back in this idea as we 
sober up from what this offseason looked like because it was so crazy that it's been really bad. Like the passing game has been really bad. The pure volume and, and, and production, but also like the rate stats have not been good. And for as exciting as he's been and for as dynamic as he can be as a talent, there's still a long, long way to go on that side of it. And I think that's what's important to remember heading into this season. And that's okay. You know, I remember talking to people there last year heading into the year where his rookie year was a waste. Like it, it might not, it might <laughs> Don't not get even, me going. <laughs> it oh, might yeah. as well not have even existed, you know? And we're talking like the basic, most basic of stuff. Like when he's coming to the line of scrimmage, not even knowing where he's supposed to look, where his eyes are supposed to go. I mean, this is stuff that they were working on with him heading into last year during the summer. I mean, these are the building blocks of playing the position in the NFL. So the where he was starting from is so, so far behind the eight ball that it was going to take a while, and it's going to take a while for him to get where you want him to go. This is about seeing progress. And I think that there were moments last year as a passer where you saw that progress. But now with the pieces that are in place heading into year two, you've got all those kind of baseline skills established after working with the staff last year. You need to see substantial progress this year to feel good about where he's headed, even if we've had those moments of brilliance as a runner. And I think that holding those two things together can be difficult at times, but I think it's important to try to do it. I think one of the best ways to contextualize that is Matt Nagy in retrospect at the at the Super Bowl on Media Day, basically telling our guy here, Adam Hogue, about how he, he felt like they ruined Justin Fields' confidence. That's how far he had to come. Like last year was supposed to look ugly. There were supposed to be ugly moments. And I think there's going to be even some of those will continue into this year as they get used to each other. You got new players playing in different spots, but at some point it's got to look better. Um, But you're right. Just in terms of building upon certain seasons, like last year in a way, I thought, was like his real rookie year in a sense. Now that's probably unfair because he did gain some experiences playing for Matt Nagy, but to hear his former head coach say that his confidence was ruined in a, in a sense and how they had to rebuild that. I don't know why that's always stuck with me, but I think that needs to be part of the conversation field still here. It, it sucks with you because it's true. Yeah. Right. That was my biggest concern. I remember last year sitting in this seat after they played Washington on Thursday night and just having a full-blown meltdown because it's the mental side of it and how fast that can deteriorate when things are headed in a certain direction. And that was before they made the tweak. It's before they played New England. It's before they kind of used that mini buy to do what the Eagles did in the year previous where it's like, we just have to change what we're doing on offense for us to survive. And it was before that had happened. And I'm just thinking about the slide that both the offense and Justin are on. And you watch that game and just their complete inability to function in the drop back game. And it's like, if this keeps going this way, he's going to be ruined. Like there's just no coming back from this. And I think that making the tweak that they did, instilling confidence and making him feel better about himself, his ability to function in the league, where he sits at the position among his peers, all of those different things that matters. And I think that is the greatest thing that was gained last year is that that guy got to see himself succeed in an NFL field, even if it was in a slightly non-traditional way. 
So now can you ride that feeling, that emotion, that sense of himself into some, into some development and some progress as a passer? I think that has to be the goal, and I think that it's more than possible. I think you, if you watch these games closely, too, you see that even within games with Justin Fields. There have been times where you see him just get like a 11, 12-yard scramble right up the middle, slide, get up and point for first down, and you just sort of see that swagger kick in. Right, because it's it's confidence, and then the next play, he you know hits a nice fifteen yard out or something like that. He goes through his progressions and he makes a throw, and and I think that when you when he taps into that, even within games, you see that. So it's just a matter of trying to build that up, you know, through the course of a whole season. And I mean, Robert, what you brought up that rookie year basically being a waste, it's a hundred percent true. And, I, and it's got to be part of the context in the conversation. You know, anytime we, and we all do this, we go into comparisons to Josh Allen's second year or his third year or Jalen Hurts' third year or whatever. Like the timelines don't add up because of that. Because year one wasn't really year one for Justin Fields. It wasn't really, it, it was a waste. The it guys was. who drafted him aren't here. <laughs> his first coaches, they're not here yeah. anymore. Well, that happens all the time, but it's... Yeah, but that ruins quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, like teams reset, you know, like teams draft quarterbacks, fire everybody, and then that quarterback goes goes elsewhere. You know, it's he had to reset himself. Yeah, there, there's no real comparison because even Jalen Hurts' rookie year, you know, we're working with Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's a really good coach. You know, Doug Peterson is an adult, and the people in charge of that organization, I think, have shown that they can do this in the NFL. What Doug Peterson has done in Jacksonville with some of the same guys that were on that staff in Philadelphia, he's obviously done a good job. Buffalo, I mean, Josh Allen's rookie year was hilariously stupid. I mean, the guys they had on that offense in 2018, I mean, his number one receiver that year was like Robert Foster. I mean, it was an absolute nightmare, but at least Brian Dable was there. Yeah, You know, at least he, that was his first year in that system. And he got to have the same voices in his head as he kind of progressed within that offense. So I think that's important to acknowledge as well. So there's no one to one comparison. But even if you look at Josh Allen's first three years in the, in the league, his rookie year was a disaster. OK, similar to Justin Fields is in a way his second year progress was made, but it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. He completed 59% of his passes. He threw for 3,000 yards. I mean, it wasn't anything great. But then year three, it really takes off. That's when they go get Stephon Diggs. Things kind of click into place and things really change. So I think you're trying to make it like some amalgamation of these steps forward for quarterbacks. Some combination of Jalen Hurts' second season with Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni. Josh Allen's second to third season with Brian Dable, what Trevor Lawrence did in year one with Doug Peterson when they went out and got some weapons. It doesn't have to be a one-for-one comparison to any of these, but I think seeing the same sort of trajectory and the same sort of progress that these guys made somewhere along the way, that's what you want to see. And I think that's well within reason to expect from him. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're like me, you believe there needs to be more stylish, functional, business, casual menswear that is both high quality and durable that can withstand your day. I'm talking about maybe hanging out in the press box, watching the game later with your friends, maybe getting a quick nine holes in. That's why men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and truly versatile set of products known to man. They have products for every occasion. We're talking about the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos, and blazers. They look great as individual pieces, maybe with a Hogan Johns polo or quarter zip, but they also work seamlessly together. Rowan's signature four-way stretch fabric is breathable, flexible, works everywhere from your commute to work to the 19th hole. It's time for unparalleled confidence without all the hassle. Rowan's commuter collection features wrinkle release technology and is 100% machine washable. Looking good is that easy. The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash Adam and use promo code Adam to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash Adam and use code Adam. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Robert, I want to hit on some of the uh, you know other things that have been happening around the NFC North, too, uh, with you. But before we get to that, I mean, do you just have... Uh, I, we don't have to get in the weeds on all these draft picks that the Bears added. Um, but do you have any that kind of stood out to you? Uh, obviously, Darnell Wright, the, the first round pick, but any other ones at, at all that kind of help mold this conversation we've already been having and what could help Justin Fields? It all seems to make sense. You know, you go again, you take some swings on high upside athletic guys on the interior of the defensive line. You could have gone anywhere. Uh, on defense, really any level of the defense if you wanted to with those early picks. Obviously, edge rusher is still a huge need. We know that. I'm sure they'll address it with some sort of veteran addition here in the next few months. But going to get two guys where their athletic profile kind of outmatches their production, we think there's some tools we can work with here. I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, you needed another outside corner. I mean, Tyreek Stevenson starts tomorrow, right? I mean, who else would prevent him from doing that? So is he going to be on the outside? Does does that mean that Kyler Gordon stays on the inside? If that's the case, then that's like, all right, we got three corners that are young that we feel decent about. You know, you got Jaquan Brisker, like it's a very young secondary, but maybe starting to come together. And I just think that adding Roshan Johnson to the backfield, talking about to coaches about him before the draft, he's just like a coach's best friend. Like I was told by one offensive coordinator, he was the best pass protecting back in this class. So just having that guy come in and potentially be able to fill that role for you where Dante Foreman can be your thumper and you know you still have Khalil Herbert. I think that that really brings that room together in a way that can help out your quarterback. And, you know, Tyler Scott being just 
one more usable piece where you're not one injury away from having receiver be a weakness again. So, I mean, Dane had him as a second rounder. I mean, he really, really likes him. So I just feel like, again, you're trying to split the difference of making sure we're giving enough support to the quarterback while taking these higher upside swings on defense. And I think as an overall plan, it makes total sense. Yeah, I like that Ryan Poles didn't forget that he had one of the worst defenses in the league, too. Like, as much as you want to help Justin Fields in every step of the way and how much you want to maybe further enhance your evaluation of that position, the, the most important position and the hardest to get right in sports, the Bears sucked on defense last year. Like, second to worst in, in rushing defense. They couldn't sack the quarterback. I think the Eagles, like, nearly quadrupled their sack numbers. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not good. It's like, and you still need pass rushers. I get it. But, like, the Bears' defense for a talent that's known for its defense and having a defensive-minded head coach, like, you know in those conversations, pre-draft, you know, whatever meetings he has with Eberflus, you know, Flus is all fired up about, hey, we need help here. I need, I need guys to coach. That, that's fair, but let's say, let's play this out. Let's say this year the Bears have a top six rushing offense, which I think is more than reasonable with the pieces in place and the quarterback really adding to that. And they have a, an average passing offense. So overall, by the end of the season, the Bears have the 11th best offense in football, according to DVOA or EPA, whatever metric you want to look at. And they're 31st on defense. That is a success. <laughs> that that is an unbridled, unmitigated success. Adolf Luce wants team, to hear you. <laughs> if that is what the team looks like at the end of this year, and the offense is above average to good in some stretches, and the defense is one of the worst defenses in football, that is a team building plan and a team makeup that I absolutely can get behind, and all fans should be able to get behind because offense is hard to build. Offense is hard to really put together and sustain because offense is sticky. If your offense is bad, it's going to stay bad. If your offense is good, it's probably going to stay good. Defense, who cares? You know, and that means if you're 11th on offense next year with one more offseason and more resources, can you be seventh the year after that? And it's all about just looking into the right defense in the right moment. You look at the best teams in football every single year. They have the best offenses, and that is what sustains you. So if they can build it the right way on that side of the ball and it becomes a little bit slower on defense, I know that's there's some cognitive dissonance with Bears fans there because that's not what they're used to, but I think that is the surest way to build a contending team in the well, NFL. I think the Bengals are a good example of that, right? Really good offense. And then you look at their defense, not exactly full of stars, but a lot of really good players. Not you know all pros, but very good starters, I would say, across the, the board for the Bengals' defense. Yeah, and the, and the Bengals had the opportunity where they could really spend on defense while their quarterback was cheap. You know, the Bears have done some of that, you know, in the guys that they've shopped in free agency for on that side of the ball. But Justin Fields is not going to be as cheap as long as Joe Burrow was, you know, just because you lost that first season and year two, they didn't really spend any cash, all that kind of stuff. So it's, again, not a one-to-one comparison, but you're going to have some flexibility on that side of the ball just because you're not paying your quarterback a ton of money, at least for the next couple of years. Okay, just for fun, because this came up earlier. Now, I have to read because this is I, this. I think this might be under the category of the most hilarious stats from the 2020 2022 football season. But the Bears sack leaders. Oh, yeah. Jaquan Brisker led the team. Safety led the team in sacks with four. Justin Jones, second with three. Your three technique, your defensive tackle. Okay. Travis Gibson, an actual defensive end 
with three sacks. Hey, there's one. Roquan Smith, who played half the year on a different team, comes in at fourth. And then Jack Sanborn, who took over for Roquan Smith, then in it. That's your top five. Those are your top five sack getters for the Chicago Bears last year. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's brutal. Uh, it's <laughs> definitely a position they need to address in some way. But okay, it wasn't all going to happen. It, it wasn't all going to happen at once. There was no way you could fix this defense in a single offseason with all of the holes that you had. And I think that setting some reasonable expectations for how long it's going to take on that side of the ball, that's okay. The defense is going to be bad again. And I think everyone just needs to come to terms with that and understand that that's not the most important thing in consideration here. All right, NFC North talk. Uh, let's let's sprinkle in a little bit of it here to uh, maybe give some context for how this, I don't know, how competitive the Bears might be at all this year. How wide open do you view this thing right now? I mean, look, it seems like every three to four years, the Lions are the hot team. I think this year there's going to be some credence to that, but I still feel like it's probably going to be a little bit overblown. But I mean, just zoom out. How do you feel about the North? I think it's more wide open than it's been just because when you lose a Hall of Fame quarterback, things definitely become the ground and the footing becomes a little bit more even. But the Lions were really good on offense last year, like really good on offense last year. And I still have some questions about their personnel. You know, they didn't really do anything at receiver. They brought in Sam Laporta to be you know, kind of another complimentary pass catching option. But, you know, we're talking about Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones. And they lose Jamison Williams for the first six games of the season. So the way that the Lions built their team through the draft, and we talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, you know, felt like they were saying, all right, let's take the 2022 Lions and let's add a couple more like little complimentary pieces here. Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, and then, then think about where we can go. I think that's dangerous thinking, you know, thinking that you're tr- development is going to be this linear trajectory where it's like, oh, we're going to be just as good as we were last year, and then we can add one or two more things. That's not always how that works. So I'm wondering where the Lions offense really goes from here. You know, Do we see the same sort of group that we saw last year? I think Ben Johnson's a really, really good offensive coordinator, but I wish they had been a little bit more aggressive in adding some like real needle-moving pieces to that team rather than a running back with the 12th overall pick, and that's about all that they did. But I still think that overall, that's probably the team to beat just because we've seen them be elite on that side of the ball. Minnesota is going to take a step back. Like yeah, I think there's we, we know that. I mean, just everything we've ever learned about how some of these underlying numbers dictate or determine how good you are as a team and what your long-term future means. Like If you have a close record a really lucky record in one score games one season you're probably going to be worse the year after and they have so many questions on the defensive side of the ball you know who's going to play corner for this team you know they're all of their secondary is aging they have guys that they drafted last year that hopefully will contribute more but we really haven't seen that so even with brian flores coming in and the jump that's probably going to give them i still think they're probably like an average team i think that they'll probably be in an optimistic scenario like right where the Bears are this year. They, they're, pro- they're probably in a similar position, and then the Packers are a total wild card. But I think this extends not just to the NFC North, but to the NFC as a whole. Like, who's good? Do we know who's good? Like, outside of Philly, and you know, maybe... I, I thought it was crazy. I was in New Orleans, like, two months ago for my bachelor party, and we were at the sports book. We were looking at Super Bowl odds. And I'm fairly certain that the Niners had the best Super Bowl odds of any team in the NFC at that stage. We don't know who their quarterback is. 
We don't know who the starting quarterback for this team is, and they had the best odds of any team in the NFC to win the Super Bowl. It's it's absolutely crazy. We're doing a show about it today, just the state of the NFC when you compare it to the AFC. So I think the NFC North is in a unique position without Aaron Rodgers, and that's why the Lions are where they are. But I think it extends to the entire conference if you really start to dig into it. And when I go through my game picks like week by week, and it's like a close one, I always go, well, who's got the better quarterback? Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be my pick. So, like, every week you can almost talk yourselves into uh, Jared Goff, Justin Fields. Mm, Justin Fields. Jared Goff, or uh, who we got? Jordan Love, Justin Fields, Justin Fields. Kirk Cousins. Is it a primetime game? I'm going Justin Fields. I, I, you can talk yourself into thinking the Bears could win some of these games if certain pieces, you know, pick it up around Justin Fields. And you're right. The difference in quarterback from conference to conference it's 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 quite like ridiculous to, to use that word. Like all the stars, all the best ones play elsewhere. They're not in this division. They're not in this conference with Justin Fields. So if he wants to take this next step and he can, I mean, there's, I don't want to say it sounds too good to be true, but there seems to be a great road of opportunity here for the Chicago Bears. It, it is not. You don't have to squint. You don't have to use a ton of imagination to imagine this team going like 11 and six this year. I don't think they will. I think they will be worse than that, but that's absolutely on the table. If you're forecasting kind of the best case scenario about his development and what the uptick in talent is going to be and how much year two in the system, all of that stuff matters again, kind of looking at what the Eagles did last year, you know, JJ, DJ Moore is an AJ Brown, but, and the offensive line in Philly is obviously much, much better. But even if you're projecting like 65%, of that progress that Jalen Hurts made, 70% of what that is, that's pretty darn good. Like you can be a pretty good offense with the pieces they have if that sort of progress happens. So I don't, I'm not projecting that. I think they, it falls kind of closer to the middle than that. But I don't think it's crazy to think that they can get much, much better on offense than they were last year in pretty quick order. Yeah, and I think it's specifically the offense that you're talking about, right? Like, so 11, yeah. like whatever the win total is, regardless, like, okay, maybe 11's the ceiling, w- whatever. Throw that part of the conversation out for a second. It's just like a jump in offense, quite frankly, should happen. And if it doesn't, then that's where well, you get the pivot point. Then. You're talking about Drake yeah. May next year. I mean, it, like seriously, because it, 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 you just look at what's on the paper now. If the quarterback makes the jump, which it's all there for him to do now, there sh- it should be actually a pretty fun team to watch offensively, regardless of what's happening on defense. Yeah, there's no doubt. And again, that's kind of where I'm at next year. If the offense is fun, possession in and possession out, it, it doesn't matter to me. If the defense is given up 30 points a game, you know, if they're winning these games like 45 to 31 or 45 to 42 every once in a while, that that's totally acceptable to me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind that at all. This is a team last year that finished 25th in offensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. I was just looking it up 25th like with what they've done and having they had the 30th passing game as, as part of that. And that's including Justin Fields' scrambles in, in that number. If that number goes from 25 to, again, like 12 and the defense is still bad, it, it just doesn't matter. Like that is the sort of progress that you need to see. And I don't think that sort of jump is far-fetched at all. And if it doesn't happen or if a jump like that doesn't happen, then you have to start asking yourself some pretty serious questions. All right. Seven and a half is what the uh, 
the line is for the Bears wins right now. That sounds right. I mean, yeah. I, I think that 11, 11 wins is like the best case scenario. Like that, that is a far off outcome. Like I think that if they go eight and nine, if they go yeah. nine and eight, it, it the final number doesn't really matter to me. It's all about the progress that you see. And especially on the offensive side of the ball and especially with the quarterback. I can't believe like, this is incremental stuff. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I mean, even eight and nine with what we just talked about with the NFC briefly, you're possibly in the playoffs. I mean, that's crazy. All right, let's bring this whole thing full circle with a fun little conversation. But Blackhawks get the number one pick. Connor Bedard's going to be a, a, a Hawk. Ten years from now, who's more legendary in the city of Chicago? Connor Bedard or Justin Fields? You better hope it's Justin Fields. <laughs> well, right. I, I, ho- I hope it's Justin <laughs> Fields. If I was putting money on it right now, it would be the guy who's considered like a moderately generational pick in the NHL draft, right? I, I The amount of reading I've done about this in the last 12 hours is staggering. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that I was reading, might have been The Athletic, might have been somewhere else, talking about how Connor McDavid, when he came into the draft, was that he was like truly a generational guy. Like he was a once every 10 years sort of prospect. But if you were ranking all the number one picks over the last decade, like Connor Bedard might be the second best one, you know, and like that's pretty darn good. So you hope that guy becomes like a franchise-altering player. I will say this. I think the bar to Justin Fields becoming legendary is far, far <laughs> lower than the bar to Connor Bedard okay. becoming legendary. I mean, we got guys that just left the Blackhawks. They're going to be Hall of Famers, you know, that are guys that won multiple cups. They're going to have their jerseys lifted into the rafters, all that stuff. So if you want to crack that lineup, you got to do some serious damage. If you want to become the best quarterback in the history of the Chicago Bears franchise, or at least in modern history, let's say since the merger, what do you have to do? <laughs> uh, you you got to like make the playoffs a few times and go to a couple right. of Pro Bowls and consistently beat the Packers. Like That is not a high bar. So I still am betting on Connor Bedard, but I think that Justin Fields has a much easier path to becoming legendary based on kind of the context surrounding the position in the team. That well, he it's plays Jay for. Cutler who's become a legend in his own right for a lot of different <laughs> yes. reasons. And that's the bar. <laughs> you have to, you have to be better and more beloved than Jay Cutler. Wait, 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 which shouldn't be hard. I mean, come on. So, and he went from hated to beloved, like post career here. Well, that's where I would argue. I don't think fields even needs to win a super bowl to accomplish this. Like, if he does what Robert just said and becomes like clearly the best quarterback in the history of the Bears, where there's not really a debate, but they don't have the Super Bowl, and the Hawks win three, like basically duplicate what they just did with Kane, I would think Fields is the bigger superstar. And what I would use to argue that is I would think that that would already have him eclipse Kane and Taves. I think it's a that's a hard way to go. They won multiple championships. Like I, I, it's a hard comparison. I beyond any sort of benchmark of success, trophies, wins, statistics. I think this is almost as much about the feeling of watching the player than it is anything else. The way that I tried to describe and articulate what last fall was like as a Bears fan, it was just so different. What it felt like every Sunday morning to get up. And have the starting quarterback be the reason you were excited to watch the football team. Like that is such a departure from what I had dealt with for the first three decades of my life. So if there's an extended period of time, 
if they decide that he's worth extending and he's worth building around and for six, eight, 10 years, Bears fans can get up on Sunday and think we have a chance to win today because the quarterback is good. If that's the case for any sort of time period, that puts Justin Fields in very rare air because that is a different sort of experience, a different sort of life than any Bears fans have ever faced that are currently alive right now, I would have to guess. I think you would still want that feeling eventually, though. Say he starts be performing at a Pro Bowl, All-Pro level, the individual accolades start to come. You're going to want that postseason success. Yeah, there's no and, doubt. And that's become part of the conversation. Want. With him, and if and if Connor Bedard happens to win three cups, then yeah, I, I get that the Bears are king. I've covered both teams. I understand how they're viewed differently, but man, that's a lot of success to make up. It's like three championships to none. I don't know. Well, hey, is, at least it's a fun conversation we're having, where you know there's actual superstars involved in or p- potential. I mean, Justin Fields is already a superstar in his own right, but. Uh, Let's hope that things are going in the right direction for both of those franchises. Things are looking up for the Cubs a little bit. And then there's the Reinsdorf teams, which we don't need to talk about. But, uh, Robert, thanks so much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Uh, I hope everybody is also subscribed and listening in to the Athletic Football Show. I will tease this. There is an epic Mike Singletary story you need to listen from. I believe you can drop the episode yesterday. That's when I listened to it yesterday. Uh, The mailbag episode that you did with Nate Tice. Bears fans should tune in for just that Mike Singletary story. I'll say that. Yeah, the, the teaser is that Mike Singletary was my youth football coach for two years uh, growing up in Barrington. And so I have a decent amount of Mike Singletary stories, but there's one moment from one season where he just really brought it in a way that uh, you got to listen to it to understand. When you said that, I nearly drove off the road. I was like, but it was something so believable at the same time. It's 100% a true story. <laughs> I, 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 did not, I, I did not embellish any second of that. So good. So good. So make sure you check that out. Uh, follow Robert Mays on Twitter and of course all the coverage whether it's football or hockey the, Mark Lazarus did some great stuff last night I know uh, with, with, the, with, with yeah and Scott Powers with the Bedard coverage so it's all on The Athletic theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns we're out of here we'll be back uh, later this week we'll have some schedule related uh, reaction when the schedule drops on Thursday. Uh, my, that episode might come out Friday morning. We'll see. Uh, but we will react to the schedule when it comes out later this week. We'll talk to you then. See ya. the Packers. Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers. Go Bears.